editor, former online and managing editor, and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it, welcome to it. It is 3 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio by my lonely today. It's just me in the studio, but we got... If not a full two hours for you, we got pretty close to it. It's just me in the studio, but I got a lot to talk about. I mean, the world of sports has given us so much to feed off of, so much to build off of. Uh, but let's go ahead and intro the show the only way we know how. Let's go ahead and thank everybody who's watching us on, on Facebook Live. We appreciate you guys. If you guys are watching us on Facebook Live, we thank you once again. Uh, if you guys want to join us on Facebook, you guys can do so at Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, you guys can find us on pretty much anything you guys can find us on instagram you guys can find us on facebook apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify you guys can find us everywhere at talk that talk radio show the one thing that would be different would be our instagram or i lied our twitter page our twitter page is at talk that talk lv once again it's our monday show it's a dolo show for me uh episode 30 or 230 i should say episode 230 uh First of all, all of these episodes that I'm counting, these 230, is since we've moved to Las Vegas. So uh, the entire library, uh, the entire Las Vegas library can actually be found. Um, any any of those places that I just mentioned, whether it's on Apple, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on Google, you guys can find the entire library from the Talk That Talk radio show since it's moved to Las Vegas. It's a full 230 episodes. This is 230 right now, as a matter of fact. This is season four, episode 67, if you're counting at home. Let's hop right to it. Um, I got some some footage that we need to discuss, and I guess we'll do it first and foremost. Um, this Draymond Green situation, I believe it had broke a couple hours before the show last last show that we did on Monday. Uh, or Thursday. Ironically enough, I think I saw it maybe an hour before the show. Show was fully drawn up. I just went ahead and went with it. I was like, let's not jump out the window uh, too early. Um, hopefully, you guys weren't too mad at me for for not getting to that on Thursday. But let's do it today. Um, in case you guys are unfamiliar, practice footage came out. I guess I could say the word leaked, right? I didn't want to use it right away, but. Uh, practice footage came out from the Golden State Warriors practice facility from the, I'm not going to call it a legend anymore, I guess. I don't need to. But from the suspect, from the suspected attack, uh, incident, I don't want to say attack, incident between Jordan Poole and Draymond Green, that footage is out. And plain and simple, it doesn't make Draymond Green look good at all. It doesn't make him look good at all. Um, the thing is, he has come out since and admitted it. Obviously, I don't think he could do anything other than admit it. Uh, I guess you could run from it. Um, but that's not who Draymond Green has shown himself to be, at least so far in the public eye. Um, plenty of different ways to go with this. Uh, I guess the first thing to do, the responsible thing to do, is to um, this is always weird. Let's just be honest. This is always weird because I know what the responsible thing to do is. I'm questioning how to go about it because I don't know if you send, you don't, I don't know if you, I, I actually, I don't think you send condolences to a person. Um, 
I don't know if you send anything to him. Um, but you obviously got a feel for Jordan Poole, right? However, uh, the video itself, a couple of different things struck me. It looked like any basketball court ever. Looks like two guys that are probably going at it, and this isn't their first game that they've gone at it. Or this isn't the first – This or this, this didn't just start. So – Clearly, they, they, they were going at it. Who knows for how long they were going at it. Can't hear the audio. Don't know what was said. However, my my father taught me this at a young age. Um, <laughs> whenever you're arguing with somebody, that's fine. That's cool. Say what you want. Stay over there. Don't come in my airspace. Don't come within my swing radius. Because I just might do that. I just might swing. Especially depending on the nature of the conversation. So when I saw Jordan, or excuse me, when I saw Draymond Green walk from the corner three to the baseline, I said there is no way in hell Jordan Poole should still have his hands on his knees. I don't care if you are tired. Now, plenty of people can say what they would have done in the situation. All we can speak of right now is probably what shouldn't have been done. Should Draymond Green have gotten in Jordan Poole's face? No, probably not. I'm not going to be one of those people to say that Jordan Poole shouldn't have pushed him. Because you walked over here to me. Move. However, same thing I have said before about previous situations. Not making a decision is making one. <coughs> Excuse me. That push by Jordan Poole made a decision. Now we can get into the specifics of him not having his hands up, things of that nature. After the push, I feel like you just got to be ready. I don't feel like he walked all the way over there to still talk to you. That's just, I, I don't know too many people that do that, that are talking to you from that distance and then want to walk up to you and keep talking. Um. So speaking of things that shouldn't have been done, this footage shouldn't have leaked. That does not at all absolve Draymond Green from what he did. But it shouldn't have seen the light of day. Now the question is, who leaked it? Why'd they leak it? Some people say it's just for the money. Cool, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> and going back to that Matt point that he asked me about the Aaron Judge home run, I don't know. Not, not that it's me. Like, now that I think about it, now that I think about it, even if it is just me in this position today, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I might have sold it too. I don't know. We'll see. But nevertheless, this 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 footage shouldn't have leaked. Now, I've been covering sports in general since 2008. So the interesting part about that is I feel like I jumped right into the fire. That's just my humble opinion. Uh, because these things happen in sports. 
They happen in sports often, actually. That's the interesting part. A lot of people just don't hear about it. You definitely don't see it. But I feel like I jumped right into the fire because, yeah, I started as a 14-year-old. But I was writing about a high school basketball team that are perennial state champions. This was my intro into this field. So it, it, it was only so much of getting your feet wet. Without getting too in detail about some of those stories from high school, from college, from community college, hell, anywhere you want to go, pro level. Do you guys want to know how many times fights have happened? And they've never been talked about publicly. Everybody is going to have an opinion about this. And I'm not going to sit here and say that they shouldn't. They can have an opinion. The only issue is. We've heard. The stories of Michael Jordan punching Steve Kerr, right? I don't know how many of you guys actually remember this story, but or remember this video. There's a video of Steve Blake getting busy at Maryland. At practice. At practice. Steve Blake chunking him. Like that, that's a thing that you can go Google Steve Blake practice fight and it's out there. There's a couple of different things that people have condemned Draymond for. I just don't know if people would, would be condemning him if they hadn't seen it. What if Michael Jordan's punch of Steve Kerr looked just like that? What if that's the exact way it looked? Are we going to go revisit the Jordan situation? Probably not, right? Excuse me. My mother can correct me if I'm wrong, but if I recall correctly, I remember being told at a young age that the heart is more in the middle of your chest than it is the left under the rib cage, whatever it is, right? What, what, what we were told, the right hand over your heart, that. My mom said that uh, your heart is more in the middle of the road when it comes to your chest. I remember watching, God bless the dead, I remember watching Kobe Bean Bryant. Shout out to Bean. Uh, at practice, and can't remember who the coach, actually it may have been Phil Jackson, and he was trying to get Sasha Vujicic to react, and Sasha wouldn't give him anything. Sasha kept kind of blowing him off, and it was pissing Kobe off, at least it appeared to be. Sasha's playing defense, has his hands on him. Kobe says, don't touch me. Sasha says, if you don't get the, man, puts his hands on him. Kobe throws a sharp left elbow right in the middle of Sasha's chest. Sasha pushed Kobe. Kobe looked at the bench and winked, and he smiled. He said, I got it out of him. There's a video of that. 
I'm not comparing the two situations or the three situations. Maybe I did compare the Jordan one, but I'm not comparing that Kobe situation to it. The reason why I'm saying that is these are things that are done in practice that typically we don't see. I have absolutely walked into a locker room before and walked into a, 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 a blank storm. You think since covering sports in 2008 that I've never seen something like this happen? For what it's worth, we can we can we can hop off of this soon, but I forgot who said this originally, but one of the bigger questions that I had was why everybody else in the gym let it happen? We've seen it at a park before, right? We, we've all been at a park before playing basketball and some things get heated. Hell, a lot of times even teammates will hop in. I don't, know, I don't know you from a can of paint, bro, but you're not going to touch my teammate. Move. Come on. Watch out. Chill. Next game, teams are switched. We're opposite teams, right? However, that's one collective team. Everybody, apparently, Steve Kerr included, Steph Curry included, said that whatever Jordan Hill or Jordan, excuse me, Jordan Poole said wasn't, it didn't warrant that reaction. If that's the case, why didn't anybody besides that one assistant coach on the sideline start walking when Draymond started walking? If y'all know the type of person he is. I don't think we've heard the last of this. In a weird way, I kind of do agree with Evan Fournier. I'm not sure if he can go back to being teammates after this. I will say this. If they are or if they aren't, it's solely based on Jordan Poole. If Jordan Poole doesn't want to play with Draymond Green anymore, it wouldn't shock me. I'm not going to say he's wrong. But if this thing was to continue to work, even if for another year, I don't care how, how, how long, Jordan Poole needs to be commended for that. Because I do, I, again, we're moving on after this, but I do kind of feel what, what, what Shannon Sharp said. Every time I see him in that locker room, bro, it's a problem. And I don't even know if I say that solely because of the video getting out. It's the nature to which it was done. I did say this. You don't, I've said this before. You don't halfway jump into anything, right? You either jump into it or you don't. So I am one of those people that that do believe that. Call me a hypocrite. Call me whatever you want. I did watch that video and say, out of the teammate fights that I've seen, I've never seen somebody hit a teammate like that. I've never seen it. It's like fighting your brother. Granted, they aren't they aren't siblings. I mean, hell, maybe they really don't like each other. Who knows? But it's like fighting your siblings. 
I want to hit you. I want to jar you. I want to rat. I want to get. I want to. You know what I mean? I want to get my point across. I'm not trying to hurt you. We'll see. A lot remains to be said when it comes to this. Excuse me. Basketball season is set to start October 17th, a week from today, as a matter of fact. That's weird. Or is it the 18th? It has to be a Tuesday, right? It's weird as hell. Anyway, whatever. Uh, it starts in about a week, about a week's time. But basketball season coincides with hockey season. And that is also something that is actually starting up before the NBA season. It actually starts up tomorrow, and that is the NHL season. The Vegas Golden Knights will be participating tomorrow night. They have a road contest at the Crypto.com Arena against the Los Angeles Kings. Now, keep in mind, guys, these are uh, this is a night team that went 43-31-8 last season, had 94 points on the year, missed the postseason. Missed the postseason for the first time in franchise history. This is this is unfamiliar territory for a young franchise. Let's just be honest. This franchise, its inception came in 2017. You get to the Stanley Cup Finals, right? You get to the Stanley Cup Finals the following year. You lose in the first round. The year after that, you lose in the conference semis. Now, that third year where you lose in the conference, uh, I said conference semis. I'm sorry, when you lose in the conference finals. That year when you lose in the conference finals, that season you actually had came off of your previous coach, Coach Gallant, and you turned the reins over to Pete DeBoer. Now, Pete DeBoer is no longer here in Vegas. There we go. Is no longer here in Vegas. But if you add that year where he took over for Gallant, he got a year where he went 14, 14, or excuse me, 40, 14, and 2. And then last season's 43, 31, and 8. Pete DeBoer is no longer. So, just by following the numbers, right? An average VGK coach gets two and a half years here. An average coach of the Vegas Golden Knights gets about two and a half years. <sighs> Pardon. Now you bring in Bruce Cassidy. Former player who had his career cut short due to injury. But let's talk about how Bruce Cassidy is, is recognized and, and remembered as a head coach. Been a head coach since 02. So you got 20 years in the business. Huh. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about it. You start your career with two seasons as the Washington head coach. Now, in 2016, you get your job with Boston. That's where you were until last season when, when the Knights went ahead and uh, made the move, right? But let's talk a little bit about it. So, in what is this? Is that eight seasons? That is, in eight seasons as an NHL head coach, 
Bruce Cassidy has made the postseason seven times in eight years as a head coach. He has an overall record of 292, 155, and nine. Oh, those are ties, I'm sorry. And 53 overtime losses. Postseason is a little bit, little bit different. A little bit of a role reversal. Postseason, he's 38 and 41. That's a win percentage of 0.481. I'll go ahead and detail how those postseason experiences win as well. His first only one in Washington, his first season. He lost in the conference quarters with Boston. Six years, six playoff appearances. He lost in the first round, second round, Stanley Cup finals, second round, second round, first round. Let's see if this is a match made in heaven. Let's see if this is a marriage that can work. Plain and simple. Let's call it. Let's just call it what it is. Vegas is spoiled. Right? Vegas is spoiled riding. And Bruce Cassidy is going to get his opportunity to prove that he can win. This is one of those few moments where both parties need each other. I heard somebody say it before. I think Bomani Jones actually said it on Twitter. He said that uh, this, this Draymond Green situation is unique with Golden State because the Warriors are probably not going to find somebody else that can duplicate what Draymond Green does for that team. And at the same time, no other team is really built like that. So you're you're probably only sufficient Draymond in that scheme, in that system, in that organization. I don't know that that's true, by the way. I do. I could think of maybe three or four other places that Draymond could go that. I don't know, man. It looks a little different. But this situation for the Vegas Golden Knights, this is a situation that I don't think they can put the cart before the horse. All things look good with this roster, right? They should be able to make it work. You got some young pieces in between the pipes. That's That's one of the biggest questions. So as long as that remains a question, I hope Vegas slow walks the dog with this one. This looks like it could be a marriage made in heaven, and it looks like it could be a marriage that actually pans out in the long run for both sides. Season starts tomorrow at Crypto.com Arena, 7 p.m. LA Kings, their home opener. Home opener for... The nights will be Thursday against the Chicago Blackhawks, 7 p.m. Both of those games can be seen on ESPN. Plus, the season opener tomorrow can actually be caught on ESPN as well. Excuse me. Let's see how, how, how long this goes, but got some baseball talk now. Where would you guys like for me to start? Um, 
pardon guys that was a long break i apologize had to get some water in my system but baseball has one of the most exciting postseasons period <laughs> It provides storyline after storyline after storyline. And I think after every game, probably more than any other sport, you're ready to write off the other team. Because baseball, you can look so bad in one game, win back-to-back -back games, and you're 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 out of the wild card series, right? Um this wild card series prevented or presented, excuse me, some surprises, right? It it, pre it presented a winner take all game. Uh just just it gave us storylines it gave us storylines in this first year of this new format what came of it let's talk a little bit about it what came of it so i'm actually gonna gonna take these in order of uh the way that they will be played beginning tomorrow all right the atlanta braves have to take on the number six seed the last team to get into the postseason the philadelphia phillies who is actually led at shortstop by former UNLV Rebel Bryson Stott. This series is going to be amazing to watch. I, I, I do think this has the potential to be the best series of this divisional round on either side. Um, the, the main thing that I think people need is something to watch for. And I think Darren Waller said it. Me and Darren Waller spoke uh, about a month ago. And we were talking about the WNBA. And he was like, if you're not into this sport, I would say find a favorite player on every team and, and, and go from there. And I think with the teams that are left, maybe with the exception of the Houston Astros. And even then, I think some people may watch the Houston Astros just to watch them lose, right? But I think a lot of these different teams that are in here have somebody at the very least, or at least some people on this team that you can go ahead and root for. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about what Philadelphia did. Philadelphia possibly, well, first of all, they gave us the postseason story that we've been waiting for and that we knew we were going to get. We just wasn't sure at what point we were going to get throughout this postseason run. But the the, the terrific careers of Yadi of Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols appear to both be finished following the team being swept in the wild card series by the Philadelphia Phillies. As a matter of fact, that Philadelphia, uh, those both of those Philadelphia wins came in St. Louis. So Matt and I talked about how often you were going to get the, the, the lower seed uh, to win in this series, in this format, I should say. And I believe Matt gave us the number of 75%. I think you're going to get the higher seed winning 75%. So that would mean three out of every four, right? Didn't happen this time. Um, very, very, very unique. We had the lower seed win in three of these four. So in fact, it was the exact opposite of what Matt said in terms of the twenty. In terms of the twenty-five seventy-five split, it was a twenty-five seventy-five split, just not the way that Matt anticipated. The lower seed came out of three of these four wild card series 
The second one that actually came out of it was the Seattle Mariners. We talked about it. We kind of alluded to it a little bit. Uh, speaking about the home run derby, right, and Julio Rodriguez, his performance beating Corey Seager as a six seed, I believe it was, and they beat a three seed Corey Seager in the home run derby, went all the way to the finals. Um, who won home run derby this year? Why am I, why am I blanking? Juan Soto, duh. Okay, cool. Good to know. Anyway, had to get that before I just before I had a, a brain fart moment. But Seattle ends up being the other team to the other six seed, I should say, to move on. They move on to play the Astros. So they move on to play the best team in baseball on the AL side of things, right? And I think you add a little bit more spice to the situation because you got division rivals. So you have division rivals and you have what I do sense as potentially a changing of the guard. I think you're you're getting let me not say that. Let me back off of that right away. <laughs> the Mariners have to show me that they can do it for back to back years. But I will say that this seems like an upset coming that's not really an upset the seattle mariners similar to what the cleveland guardians did which we're about actually about to get into right now um they they can put together hits they made some moves in in in, in the pitching department that I mean, makes them formidable in that regard as well. So now if you can't keep this team from stringing hits together and you can't string your own together, I don't know. Now, granted, Houston has done a great job with making sure that they have a next man up, next man up, next man up, right? Carlos Correa is no longer there. George Springer is no longer there. Jose Altuve is. Justin Verlander is. So you're going to get a situation where you're going to get two teams that know each other, that are very familiar with each other. However, you're also going to get two teams that, because they're familiar with each other, a lot more numbers are going to be able to be pulled from. You're going to get regular season meetings, right? So what happens if Jose Altuve has, I don't know, an 0 for 8 uh, run against a particular lefty? We talk about it all the time in terms of baseball, at least I do, in terms of baseball. I believe that, yes, I understand football. I don't believe that there's another sport that is more of a chess match in the postseason than baseball. I just don't. Houston has shown that they can get there, I guess, with help and without. What do they do with it this time around? 
with a hung, potentially a hungrier team in front of them? Not quite sure just yet. Best looking team so far out of all the teams that have played is probably the Cleveland Guardians. They look the best, right? Um, came in and absolutely shut the door. <laughs> and when I say shut the door, I mean just that. Like, they absolutely shut the door. Where's all of? There we go. So, they absolutely shut the door on the Tampa Bay Rays. And the interesting thing was they did it from two different ways, right? So, or two different um, opportunities, I should say. I don't know why the computer is doing this to me. Cool. So, you have your two-to-one win on Friday, and then you have a 1-0 win on Saturday that actually came in the version of a, of a walk-off home run. Now, I feel like this always happens, but... Cleveland had a run a couple of years ago where Carlos Santana, I believe, was on the team. Jose Ramirez was still on the team. And you almost kind of wanted to root for him just because of the surprising nature. We talk all the time about parity in sports. And I, I remind you guys as much as I can, no other sport has more parity than baseball. Not a one. Since 2000, baseball has had the most champions. Actually, the most different champions. Is that the way to say it? I'm not even sure how, to, how, how I would go about it. But since 2000, let's think about who has World Series since 2000 that weren't in the postseason this year. The Diamondbacks. The Angels. The White Sox, the Red Sox, the Rockies went twice, right? Do the Rockies have one? But it's interesting to highlight that these improbable, quote-unquote, improbable runs that we run into and that we see in baseball, it's almost expected that something unexpected is going to happen in baseball every year. I remember when the Kansas City Royals went on their run. I remember being a non-believer <laughs> until they won a championship. I remember it. The Kansas City Royals is another one. How many, how many did I name? Four? Five? Whatever the number is, it's a number that can get a lot bigger. And it probably will get a lot bigger considering the way that baseball looks and the way that it's, it's been moving forward. The Cleveland Guardians, they, they they take out Tampa. The AL representative from the World Series just two seasons ago, they take them out and they do it in dominating fashion. They allow a run over 18, actually a lie. They allowed a run over 24 innings. 
You have a nine-inning game, and then you have a 15-inning game. The first time that an MLB game, postseason game, not at zero heading into the 15th inning. Never done before, before Saturday night, or Saturday, rather. The Cleveland Guardians are on the opposite side of a win on that one, and I hope I didn't say the other name during this entire little diatribe, but we'll see. This 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 final one. Oh wait, no. Before I move on, Cleveland has the New York Yankees, and this is dangerous to say, but exactly what I said about the Seattle Mariners on the other side of the bracket. Well, the other side of the AL bracket. A lot of energy and emotion went into. Aaron Judge's home run chase, right? He caught it. He caught the home run mark. Almost the same way that the Warriors captured the 73-9 and record, only to fall short of the ultimate goal. So I do just want to put into perspective, for about a month's time, I'm not in New York, right? But I do know a lot of New York fans. For about a month's time, the conversation was solely Aaron Judge's record-breaking season. And it wasn't the Yankees' postseason position anymore. For as much as we heard Yankee fans praise Aaron Judge during this uh, season during his record-breaking season as he should have been you will hear them boo just as loud if the Yankees do not get out of this divisional series I hope that the effects of chasing history doesn't leave residue that leaves the team unclear of the the journey ahead. Underdog situations in the AL this year. I'm probably leaning with Seattle more than I'm leaning with the Guardians. However, don't be surprised if either and or both happen. <clears throat> Funny how life works. I guess this was always supposed to be the last one for me to talk about, right? I text Matt after the game last night, and I said, you know what, Matt? I'm going to treat this season like Odell Beckham is treating this season. And I'm going to take the entire offseason and just look at the landscape. I'm just going to let it happen. I don't think I can do the Angels anymore. I don't think anybody cheered louder that the Mets lost yesterday than me because of the prospect of me being a Mets fan moving forward. I would have never done it if the if the Mets went to the champion went to the World Series. I don't see myself becoming a fan of a team that just won a championship. The logical thing would be for me to move from the from the Angels to the Dodgers, right? It's L.A. They're rivals, but nah, are y'all really? Like I don't really know if 
I could do it if the if the Mets were were in a different spot today. But they lost two of three at home to the San Diego Padres. And this is a San Diego Padres team that has been dealing with storyline after storyline after storyline after trade after trade after storyline after trade. And it's gotten them all the way to the NLDS. The biggest move, the biggest splash that was made all summer long was acquiring Juan Soto from the Washington Nationals, right? Solidifying that they were going to be the worst team in baseball while possibly propelling yourself to that next level. I called my dad last night and I told him one thing, plain and simple, plain as day. <clears throat> With everything that you say about the Padres, you can't lose. No other way to slice it. With the way that my dad, who is a lifelong Dodger fan, speaks about the San Diego Padres, which they have, and I say they being Dodger fans, which they have for all of my life, all of my life, you guys cannot manage to lose this series. I don't care if the Padres win and end up losing in the, in the NLCS or if they go to the World Series and they get swept. I don't care. I don't care what happens. The Padres cannot eliminate the Dodgers. Back to the Laker point. With everything that you guys talk about the Clippers, you can't ever let the Clippers eliminate you. Just the way life goes. With everything that the Dodgers have said, Dodgers fan base has said about the Padres fan base, keep them from winning. <laughs> By the way, with the Dodgers having the best record in baseball, with the Dodgers having the most wins in postseason or in franchise history, I told my dad I, I looked at the Dodgers early in the year and was like, this is the team to beat. I'm here at the end of the year saying this is the team to beat. The only thing that I think makes this fall classic any better is that we get a New York Yankee, Los Angeles Dodger World Series out of it. If that happens, I got the Dodgers coming out on top in that one. But we'll see. We shall see. We have about, first of all, we're about 45 minutes into the show, and I have maybe on a short take, 30 minutes. On a long take, maybe another hour. And that's extremely long. So we'll see what happens. I had football talk the rest of the way through. Got some UNLV talk right now. And then we're going to end it with uh, week five in the NFL. UNLV football. UNLV football this season, they've had a great season so far, right? But uh, in terms of, aside from statement games, right, they hadn't had a game where something was on the line just yet. As I said before, aside from identity, pride, things of that nature, they have their first game on Saturday, Friday, excuse me, um, where they have something to play for. They have first place on the line. They're sitting in first place. They have a chance to defend first place. They're on the road at San Jose. And I'm ready to come in here and tell you guys, I didn't have this team starting this hot. 
But I had San Jose State as a win. So right now, my win, my 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 win total might be looking good for UNLV football. However, if you look at that schedule, it's probably looking a little wonky. But UNLV dropped this last one 40 to 7. And no, that's not a typo. No, that's not me misreading. No, that's not me misspeaking. That is exactly what happened on Friday from CEFCU Stadium. Um, plenty of different places I can start. Let's start with the fact that UNLV was down 33-0 to zero before ever touching the board. They were scoreless for the first, I believe, 42 minutes in this one. Um, UNLV was never able to get the wheels turning in this one. Uh, Doug Brumfield left the game early in this one. I believe he went one for six for eight yards or one for eight with six yards. Something along the lines of that. I think it was one for six with eight. Uh, ended up leaving the game, was a little shaken up. It, it wasn't That wasn't universally known at the time. All that we knew was that a, tr- a, a, a move was made at the quarterback position. Now, that move that was made at the quarterback position, let me go ahead and look at my notes. And Doug was one for six for eight yards, by the way. Cameron Frill comes in early in the second quarter. And let's just be honest. He comes in and he gets right to it. But before he does that, the second snap that he has, he fumbles it. He fumbles it. We have talked about it since Marcus Arroyo's first year here at UNLV. He played quarterback. So I don't think anybody knows rhythm more than him. Moving guys in and out of the lineup. Creates a rhythm issue. Now, keep in mind, guys, we've we've heard that Doug was probably Doug was dealing with something in that game. So we can assess that now. Right. However, again, in the moment, we didn't know that. This is all that we knew in the moment. This is what we knew on Friday night. Marcus Arroyo, Friday night was Marcus Arroyo's 24th game as head coach of UNLV football. Friday night, Marcus Arroyo made his 13th quarterback change in those 24 games as head coach of UNLV. That's a lot, guys. Now, some may come to his defense and say, well, let's talk about injuries. Let's talk about them. As a person who's covered this team since Marcus Arroyo has been here, I believe we've had to deal with injury in terms of these 13 changes no more than four times. And that's just literally me throwing something at a wall, seeing if it'll stick. I think it's about four times. So that means almost 10 different times. Marcus Arroyo has changed quarterbacks mid-game. You know what I need to go do? I need to go see if all 13 of those games are losses. I think that's important to do. But Cameron Frill gets in, he, he, he fumbles the second play of the game, and then he he starts to find his stride, right? He goes four for four early, 71 yards. At that time, he had a 38-yard 
completion of Seneca McKee, who also caught the game's only touchdown for UNLV. Cameron Farrell ended up going 7 of 7 before his first incompletion, right before halftime. Again, like I said before, UNLV didn't get on the board until the third quarter. They had to deal with Chevin Cordero all night. Let's just be honest. Chevin Cordero, uh, a, a quarterback, who a, a transfer quarterback from Hawaii, who I'm, I'm open to being wrong. I've said it before. I'm open to being wrong when it comes to these situations. But I remember talking with Mike Hughes. Shout out to my guy, Mike Hughes. And we talked about Josh Allen, right? Did we know Josh Allen, when he played at Wyoming, would be what he is today? Hell no. <laughs> no, we didn't. Not that Josh Allen was a bad quarterback. We just didn't expect him to be what he is right now. Chevin Cordero at Hawaii, um, no disrespect to, to, to the guy. These numbers that I saw from him on Friday night, I could be wrong. Maybe he did do this at Hawaii. This is not the Chevin Cordero that I remember from Hawaii. But he goes 18 for 27 through the air, 230 yards, two touchdowns, not to mention he gains 109 more yards on the ground on 14 touches. He also scores on the ground two additional times. He's responsible for four of the five touchdowns from San Jose State. Kyrie Robinson, who's a senior running back, added 61 yards on nine touches in addition to that fifth and final touchdown. Both of, or three of which came on the ground, two of which came from Chevin Cordero. Uh, I'm going to be honest, guys. I, I was at a loss after the game, and it appears that Marcus Arroyo as well when he said, quote, we've got to do a better job hands down. To not play the way we've played is something we've really got to look at. Our identity tonight wasn't what we have been. I don't know what more you guys want. I mean, the head coach is telling you himself that we, we've talked about this North Texas game, right? We've talked about uh, the Utah State game. We've talked about these different – hell, even the New Mexico game. We've talked about these different games being identity builders, right, if they could stack them. Before this loss, they had stacked three wins. So this team was sitting at 4-1 and one on the year, riding a three-game win streak. If they get this win, they're coming in the following week to a homecoming game at Allegiant Stadium, 7.30 kickoff. And now you're in a different situation. Now you're just in a different situation, plain and simple. You lose this game. Not only do you lose this game, you get blown out. You get the doors blown off. You get the doors kicked in. Whatever other, whatever other analogy you want. AJ GK said after the game, this isn't how we envisioned the game going, but I don't want to just leave it at that. I want to find a way for us to turn this into a positive. We can learn from this. We've still got a lot of games left. It's a long season. We're not where we want to go and where we want, excuse me, we're not where we want to go and where we know we can be, but we know we can get there. UNLV needs two more wins to be bowl eligible, and that will be the first time that they were bowl eligible, I believe, since the 2013 season, where they played the Heart of Dallas Bowl in 2014, early 2014, against North Texas. Um, it would be a huge deal for this team to obviously be bowl eligible. However, I do think Matt said earlier in the year that there could be a stretch where they could lose four or five straight. If that's the case, we might be in the middle of that stretch only because I had Air Force as a win, but... Considering the way that my UNLV schedule looks this year with my wins and losses, I don't know if I would bet on that one for me just yet. But let's just look at their next snapshot of game. So they dropped this one for first place against San Jose State. 
Then you have a home game against Air Force. You have back-to-back road games against Notre Dame and San Diego State. That's going to be tough. And then you have Fresno State on Veterans Day from Allegiant Stadium. Now, let's say UNLV doesn't get the Air Force game. A lot of people expect UNLV to be competitive against Notre Dame, but they don't expect them to beat Notre Dame, right? Cool. San Diego State is always a close game with UNLV in most cases. I should say, let me say say always, but in most cases it is, especially with this season, you would think that San, San Diego State is not necessarily on the upswing. So maybe UNLV can catch them. However, let's just say that they don't. That would be four straight losses for this team. So that would be a San Jose State loss, an Air Force loss, back-to-back losses at Notre Dame and San Diego State before returning home. UNLV is 3-0 at home this year. Their only issues so far have come on the road. They're 1-2. But if they lose those four straight, UNLV will be sitting at 4-5 and five on the year. After starting a year four and one. I'm telling you now. For the time that I've been here in Vegas. If this team starts four and one. And then goes to four and five. The entire city will panic. I'm telling you guys right now. The funny thing is, I'm probably talking to some UNLV fans right now. And you guys are probably on the back end of this screen not in your head saying, no, I'm going to panic. I'm going to freak out. Typically, that's what happens here in Vegas when it comes to UNLV football, but especially when I've never seen this, when a team appears to have given a city some hope early in the year, winning four of their first five games, this team has a chance right now to, even if they don't lose four straight, they do have a chance to lose three of four during this next stretch three of which come on the road so this upcoming game is a is a home game as i mentioned before it's the homecoming game against air force 7 30 p.m saturday october 15th that is game time kickoff time again at 7 30 from allegiant stadium be there at b square Now at four and two on the year, UNLV now is two and one in the Mountain West Conference. They just suffered their first conference loss. They are two, or excuse me, they are second in the Mountain West West Division. Of course, they're just behind San Jose State that sit at four and one. San Diego State is just behind UNLV at three and three. And then you have Fresno State, which is sitting at one and four. I don't know, guys. <laughs> Maybe you can call that a dumpster fire. But We transition from college football to professional football. So as anticipated before, I said, what, about 30 more minutes? So that was 10 minutes ago, so about about 20 more minutes. I'm thinking maybe 30, maybe 30 minutes. We'll see what happens, give or take. Again, if you guys are joining us via Facebook Live, we appreciate you guys as always. If you guys would like to join us, 
please do so at Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, Talk That Talk Radio Show. You guys can type in that same exact verbiage for pretty much anything. You guys can look for us on Apple, Spotify, Google, Instagram, uh, Twitter. No, I lied. Twitter, Facebook. No, Instagram, Facebook. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you guys can all find us there at Talk That Talk Radio Show. That one thing that I did keep mentioning, Twitter, it is a little bit different. It's at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, you guys can find us on Twitter at, at Talk That Talk LV. Uh, now, week five in the NFL, there's plenty of places I can go, plenty of places I can take it. I'm actually, we, we started it on Thursday with our radio show. We did it on Friday, actually. Speaking about... Um, Funny. So, my dad's tipping today is going to give us an opportunity to kind of start a conversation. And it's going to give us a, a, a starting point at the very least. My dad's tipping is, my tipping today is a simple, or it's simple and quick. And then I kind of talked them in and not make it as simple and quick. Uh, wonder how Randy Gregory feels about changing his mind after signing his Dallas Cowboy contract and moving on to the Denver Broncos. Dan Quinn really had something special or really had something special going on. And he really saw Gregory as being a big part of it. Don't get me wrong. I've had faith and rooted for Gregory since being drafted. Randy Gregory was chosen by Dallas. The Cowboys chose him in the second round with the 60th overall pick in the 2015 NFL draft. Gregory was projected as a high first round pick, but because of failed drug tests for marijuana, this f- the two. This is during marijuana. In- okay, during the 2015 NFL scouting combine, Gregory's value dropped, and the Cowboys snagged him with the 60th pick of the draft in the second round. Jerry stayed faithful to Gregory and kept him in the fold during many suspensions, and never really got to a full season, and never really got a full season out of him. But he still showed love and extended his contract. But as a slap in Jerry's face, Gregory instead changed his mind after signing his extension and chose the Denver Broncos with the same amount of money, with the same amount of money as the contract in Dallas instead because of what was reported as one stipulation in the Cowboys contract that stated that if he that he would be fined. Oh, OK, that if he was fined, there we go, Dad. I think it was a typo in here that if he was fined or suspended, he could lose his guaranteed money plus his bonuses. What that tells me is that after all the time, effort, and patience that the Cowboys organization put into you, this was the thanks you gave them. With nothing but best wishes for Gregory on a mental, physical, and personal level, but on a football level, good luck with the Broncos, and it would have been great to see you be a bookend with with Demarcus Lawrence on the defensive line, but it is what it is. Thanks for the great plays that you brought as a Dallas Cowboy. Now, I'm happy that my dad started with that tip in mainly because we're going to start with the Dallas Cowboys because they just keep on winning. I I don't know. Uh, I didn't expect to talk about week five NFL football. Well, I did. I didn't expect to talk about the NFC East first, and that's where I'm going. Um, But the Dallas Cowboys continue to win. The Dallas Cowboys this past week put up a, a big win over the L.A. Rams. And you guys know how the Pick'em League works here. We, we always try to tell you guys who we're picking throughout the week. I didn't pick the the, the Cowboys. I didn't. <laughs> I haven't picked the Cowboys, I don't think, since Cooper Rush has been in the starting lineup. I have lost all of those games, guys. <laughs> so that just goes to show where the Cowboys are right now. They get a win. 
this past week, they get or weekend. Yesterday, as a matter of fact, they get a 22 to 10 win. Pardon. Cooper Rush barely even throws the football, but he goes 10 for 16, 102 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He didn't make any mistakes, but he did get 163 total rushing yards from his backs. Um, as a matter of fact, the only negative yard was his negative yard, but you get 78 yards on 22 carries from Ezekiel Elliott and 86 more from Tony Pollard on eight touches. He also had a long 57 yard touchdown in that one. Now, Cooper Rush isn't being trusted to throw the ball as much as, as Dak Prescott. However, the Cowboys are continuing to win based on defense, based on a, on a sharp running game. That's the method to winning championships, right? I think people like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, even Tom Brady, of course. A lot of times people people look at the great quarterback and they go, oh, this is how you win Super Bowls. This is how you win Super Bowls. You need a quarterback that is willing to make the throw. You need a quarterback that has the ability to make the throw. But you also need a quarterback that needs to know when to make that throw or to not make it for that matter. Cooper Rush has done the ultimate job of filling in for somebody. This is not a knock on Cooper Rush. I believe he's 5 and 0 all time as a starter now, 4 and 0 this season. Let's be honest. Cooper Rush to me, I could be wrong. He play he's playing as if a guy who's filling in for the guy. If Cooper Rush was anybody's starting quarterback and had these numbers yesterday, I think that fan base would I almost said something. I think that fan base would be at Cooper Rush's neck. But because you're looking at these numbers from the from the standpoint of, I mean, it's a backup. These numbers don't look half bad because he didn't lose you the game. But I think it's impossible to look at those numbers and say, well, he won you the game, right? He, he did make a couple of great throws. That Michael Gallup throw was dropping it in the bucket. Um, but again, this team is showing you that they are going to win on the heels of their defense. They pitch a shutout in the second half. They're up at halftime 16 to 10. They win this game 22 to 10. If they lost this game, it would have been a lot of talk and conversation about Cooper Rush leading an offense that put up six points in 30 minutes of football. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Cooper Rush has done an amazing job filling in for Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is and should be the answer when he gets back. I don't know what the hell is the answer for us in terms of Green Bay. I try to have fun. I try to let it flow. I try to, you know, I try to just let it be what it is. I'm going to get really emotional right now, probably. And that's fine. I think more people need to be emotional about certain things like this. But I woke up Saturday morning, Sunday morning, wake up early, cut on a, cut on an iPad, and I'm watching the game. I said, let's, let's, let's watch it from bed. Watch the entire first half. Not going to lie to you guys. I dozed in the third quarter. I doze off. Wake up in the start of the fourth. I see the score. So I'm like, oh, 
Okay. I'm good. I'm not worried. It's 20 to 13 at the time, right? <laughs> There's no way in hell that this took place. Um, I'm watching a game, and the next time that I wake up, Aaron Rodgers is walking off the field, and you see the 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 score flash. I saw it. I said, <laughs> "Okay." I chuckled. I locked my iPad and I closed my iPad because what more do you guys want from me? I have no words. Um, <laughs> I think me going to sleep in the third quarter after the game was what I would believe to be out of reach for an Aaron Rodgers-led Packer team just didn't come to pass. And I think that is what I fought Aaron Rodgers for being guilty of at times, expecting things to go your way. And plain and simple, Sunday just didn't go Green Bay's way. And in fact, two times out of this first five weeks, it hasn't gone Green Bay's way. I think the interesting thing is before last night, similar to UNLV, they had won three straight. So we didn't hear these critiques and criticism and things of that nature when this team had won three straight. So I don't necessarily believe that it's much to panic about. However, these are the games that I look back to after the year um, after the probably inevitable early postseason bounce um, from Green Bay, I, I do expect this to be a game that I revisit and I question what it would have meant if Green Bay was to get this win. As I said before, Green Bay is now sitting right outside of uh, first place, which is currently occupied by the Minnesota Vikings, which I said they would win a division. Right now they are 4-1 and one through the first five weeks of the season. Uh, but the Giants are 4-1 and as well. So highlight that along with the Cowboys, right? But there's the only other undefeated team, actually the only undefeated team in the NFL remaining also resides in the NFC East, and it is Jalen Hurts and his Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I've talked about it for the longest. I thought Jalen Hurts was probably the MVP, or I said the MVP, was probably the uh, the Heisman when he was in, in college that final year at Oklahoma these are the reasons why I said what I said, his ability to lead a team, his ability to command a room, his ability to make the play when you need to on the field, whether it's with his arms, whether it's, whether it's with his legs. I do think that he has the demeanor of a quarterback. We talk about fitting that bill. We talk about fitting that image, looking the part. And I don't know of another quarterback, too many other quarterbacks I'll say in the NFL, that fit that bill of an NFL quarterback. Jalen Hurts oozes that, and I think that he – it's going to sound kind of crazy, but I think he may eventually be the prototype for what quarterbacks can be, considering that he can do it with his legs and he can do it and he can do it with his uh, with his arm. I think the, the, the issue is going to be or the question rather is going to be if he can do it consistently. We understand that he's he's what I believe is three years into the league at this point. Uh, but it's kind of hard to argue that he is not leading 
the best team in all of football right now. And one can say that if they are the best, they're the best because of the work that he has put in so far. Um, but there's another team in the NFC East that is not having as 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 nice of a go at things as everybody else in the division. In fact, the Washington Commanders are one and four under first year quarterback Carson Wentz. First year in a new system again, third team, three years, third different offense. Um, I heard somebody on ESPN Radio earlier today actually say that three three teams, three different years, same issues. And I think that's just where we're at with, with Carson Wentz. I, I think Carson Wentz may be one of those situations where you watch and you watch and you watch and you watch and you say, damn, that should be a great quarterback. And maybe injuries did it. Maybe his prime was like that. Who knows? Maybe maybe getting that huge payday changed. Who knows? Who knows, right? But I know that Philadelphia in that final year was looking at Carson Winston was like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Last year, the Colts didn't have Phillip Rivers anymore to get Carson Winston. Frank Wright is the guy that's there that one could argue is part of the reason why everybody believes Carson Wentz is the guy that he is. By the end of the season, Frank Reich is looking at you like, I, what, what am I looking at? Earlier today, you, you, you pretty much heard it verbatim. Why hasn't the Washington Commanders been able to keep afloat with the rest of the teams in the NFC East? Riverboat Ron, Ron Rivera said, playing a simple quarterback, quarterback play. That's the difference. I don't know if that's completely the difference. The Giants have Saquon, but eh, I don't know if that's completely the difference. Cowboys have a running game. Jalen Hurts is the Eagles running game, not to mention Miles Sanders and the rest of the host of backs that they got. Kenneth Gainwell. But He thinks it's quarterback play. Something vibrated? Anyway. He thinks it's quarterback play. He Now, since then, he said that he doesn't regret the trade. He thinks that they have some good pieces. He thinks that they have everything in order now to where they should be winning. They're just not. I think a lot of teams could be saying that. Pittsburgh is another team. They actually absolutely got their doors blown off yesterday, 38-3, to by what most people are calling the MVP right now, Josh Allen. I think Jalen Hurts has something to say about that. But Josh Allen uh, dominates, goes, th uh, wins this game 38-3. to I told Pittsburgh fans that – Pardon. That considering – the the history and the track record of Mike Tomlin. Any quarterback he chooses, I'm gonna expect to get double digit wins. Whether they go to the postseason, whether they win a Super Bowl, that those are different questions, right? I expect them to be competitive, and I'm here to say maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was wrong. I said that if Mitch Trubisky is his guy, I'm gonna trust him, and we'll we'll probably get ten wins out of Mitch Trubisky. That's not necessarily the case 
Now they've turned to Kenny Pickett. I'm already wrong in that sense because I said I didn't think Kenny Pickett would play this year. I thought Mason Rudolph would be the backup, which, by the way, how much of an indictment is this on Mason Rudolph? They brought a guy in to compete for the starting job. He wins the starting job. He loses the starting job in the first four weeks of the season. And once he loses the job, Mason Rudolph, you're not even second in command. A rookie is. I'll back off of that. Uh, I think I only want to talk about one more before I move on to tonight's game. Yep, I'm going to do it. So I picked Cleveland over the Chargers this week. I'm, I took a lot of L's this week, didn't I? I took the Chargers, or I took the, 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 the Browns over the Chargers this week. And... The fact that they missed that field goal at the end of the game is the exact reason why I picked the Cleveland Browns. Because Brandon Staley continues to get in his own way. Brandon Staley is going to get himself fired this year. Brandon Staley is going to get himself fired this year. That was my hot take. My hot take coming into the year was Brandon Staley will be fired Black Monday. First coach of the year is already gone down. Matt Rule is out of Carolina as of this morning. I believe he went, what, 11 and 27 in two years as, as head coach? You guys make it make sense to me. So, Brandon Staley. <laughs> if you look at the Chargers roster. And you look at the Browns roster. Even with dealing with a quarterback that's dealing with injuries. You have Jacoby Brissett on the other side. Respectfully to the Cleveland Browns, I would think that without question, the Chargers are the better team on the other side. When I look at coaches, I look at Brandon Staley and Kevin Stefanski, and that's where I go, all right, this is where the Browns have the edge. This is where the Browns have the advantage. And Brandon Staley, you still almost. I can't think of a better term. You still almost kicked the game away. I just don't get it. Fourth and one. So you're giving them the ball at your own 46, I believe. You went for it at your 46 yard line. And I believe somebody brought up the analytics and said what the percentages would be, things of that nature. I think if you go for it on fourth and one, it's 
82% or something like that. And if you don't go for it, it's like 79.1. So you, you, you made that move for possibly less than a 3% chance? <laughs> sure, those are the moves that can win you a Super Bowl, right? Onside kicks in the Super Bowl. We, we've seen those moves make people famous. We've also seen throws at the one-yard line that possibly could have damaged a person's career to an irreparable point. Brandon Staley, I think you would have to go a full two seasons without making those decisions for somebody to not link you to that quarterback who, or to that coach who coaches NFL football like he's playing Madden. I believe as a kid, I would get mad when people would go for it on fourth and things of that nature and onside kicks and who cares, right? Now that I'm older, do it if you want to. Go ahead. I said it once this year, and I'm going to say it again. Brandon Staley is going to coach his team out of a lot more games than he's going to coach them into. Let's get to tonight. <laughs> Speaking of coaching, can Josh McDaniels get his biggest win of this early going of the season by knocking off the first place Kansas City Chiefs? Kansas City's 3-1 and one in the AFC West. The Raiders are 1-3. You got your classic one versus four matchup in this one. Hunter Renfro is back in this one. Kickoff is in about a little less than an hour now. Kickoff is at 5-15. We're sitting here at 4-19. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it might be 420 in, oh, 50 seconds. So we got time. Uh, but last 10 games have not necessarily gone in the Raiders' favor. Two of them did. They're 2-8 and eight in the last 10 against, against Kansas City. Excuse me. They are, again, fourth in the AFC West. They are the, well, they were the only 0-3 team prior to beating Denver just last week. The Raiders are in unique territory because do I pick the Raiders to win this game? I do not. The Raiders have a bye week after this. The Raiders sitting at one and four on a year, heading into a bye week. And then Matt told me something, well, told us something a while back. And now would be a very, very good time to revisit it because Matt said, let's say that this team isn't necessarily rocking and rolling into the bye week. They could perhaps come out and get right to it. After the bye week, you have a home game against the Houston Texans, back-to-back road games against New Orleans and Jacksonville. Then you get another home game against Indianapolis, and then back-to-back road games at Denver and at Seattle. So that is well into November. 
I believe that's the day after or the game after Thanksgiving. Uh, or that last game, that Seattle game, is that the week of Thanksgiving. So that would take you through the start of December. Out of those games that I just mentioned, Houston, New Orleans, Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Denver, and Seattle, how many games do you really do you guys really believe that the Raiders can take out of those what? What did I name? I named six games. Six game stretch. Houston, New Orleans, Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Denver, and Seattle. Three? If you have them at three, the Raiders are four and seven heading into December. What does the rest of their December and the rest of the new year look like? I'll tell you. Home game against the Chargers, road game against the Rams, home game against New England, road game against Pittsburgh, back-to-back home games against the Chargers, or excuse me, against the 49ers and the Chiefs. That's what the Raiders end with. I don't know, man. I think everything changes after this. I think, first of all, if you're a Raider fan today, I think you're, you're you're looking at this Houston game. You're looking at October 23rd as the possible restart date for this season. This season is has not started the way that this team wanted it to. But at the same time, too, going back to the, looking at the weeks of this show, Matt and I expected it to be a rough go of things for this team. Did we expect a 1-3 start? No. But, well, we may not have predicted all of these losses, but I believe Matt and I had this team at two and three, possibly three and two, heading heading into the bye week. I don't think any of us had them with just one win through the first five games of the year, but there's a good chance that it could happen. As I said before, Hunter Brown is or Hunter Brown. I don't know why I said that. Hunter. Oh, actually, I know why I'm reading this. Hunter Renfro is coming back tonight. Everybody who I'm about to mention are all inactive for tonight. Linebacker Jayon Brown, defensive tackles Matthew Butler and Jonathan Hankins, tight end Foster Moreau, running back Britton Brown, and defensive end Tashawn Bauer. All of which are out and inactive tonight at Kansas City. Paul Gutierrez, ESPN staff writer, just went ahead and, and, and got that got that information out, I believe, 30 minutes ago. So, the Raiders are headed to Kansas City to face Patrick Mahomes, who is 7-1 against the Raiders since entering the league. Looking to go 8-1 tonight. Has everything on his side. I believe he's going to test the secondary early and often. This front seven of the Raiders, they cannot allow what happened last week in the first half. They can't allow Patrick Mahomes to damn near be perfect the way that Russell Wilson almost was last week in that first half. Yes, they pulled it out toward the end of it, right? But let's be honest. For I even talked to Deron Harmon after the game. For the first half, first 30 minutes, you're looking at Russ like, uh, that's Russ. That's Russ being Russ again. So the Raiders can ill afford to have it happen tonight. 
against Kansas City. I'm actually about to get ready to go home and prepare for it as we speak. Been a sh- kind of a kind of a short episode today, a little bit shorter than typical. As I said before, shout out to my guy, Matthew Raftery. He's not in studio today. I'm in studio dolo. My mom sent me her tip in a little bit late today, but we're going to end the show with it. Uh, understanding is deeper than knowledge. There are many people who know you, but there are very few who understand you. I want to read that one more time before I get out of here. Understanding is deeper than knowledge. There are many people who know you, but there are very few who understand you. Until next time, gang, keep on talking.